electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money does start right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, and Jeff Mills. Tonight on Fast, turbulent times for the airlines. What industry leaders hope to accomplish on their trip to the White House today. Plus, a new street high price target for Amazon. Why one analyst says the stock can climb another 25% from here. And in a special edition of Fast Money 5, the ad backlash against Facebook getting even stronger today. Will this finally have a lasting impact on this stock. But we start with a major sell-off on Wall Street to close out the week. The Dow dropping nearly 800 points at its low as states like Texas and Florida not just pause, but roll back their reopening plans. The Dow and S&P now back in negative territory for the month of June. So does this take the V-shaped recovery off the table, Guy? Hi. Hi. That was a great toss from Wilf and Sarah to Fast Money. A little sloppy, we say, in the business, but that's okay. I I was never in this. I mean, the market had a V-shaped recovery, but the economy, anything but. And we've talked for a while now that the chasm between the real economy and the stock market uh, continues to widen out, until today at least. And I think somehow that gap is going to be closed. And unfortunately, I think it's going to be closed by the stock market selling off. So in terms of what happened today, yeah, I think... The fact that now states seem to be putting the brakes on things is a huge part of it. But don't discount at all. And I know we're going to talk about this. The news about Facebook, that is, you know, I think we can come back in the fall and go back and say on June 25th, when Verizon started to pull ad spend from Facebook, that was a significant uh, event in the market. 2790 in the S&P 500 is the number I keep coming back to for a myriad of reasons. And I don't think it's ridiculous to think we're going to retest that. Plus... Think about where we closed today. We basically closed where we closed, I think, two Thursdays ago, June 11th, after that big whoosh. So although you had a big move over the last couple of weeks to the upside, the market gave it all back, and it gave it all back even after the Fed's done some jawboning over the last two weeks. I'm glad you mentioned Facebook because this is not a Facebook-specific story anymore. I mean, the fallout happened across technology and specifically social media. So we saw Alphabet, for <clears> instance. <throat> These same issues when it comes to advertisers and their ads next to content is the same for YouTube and for a lot of other uh, social media platforms out there, BK. But we bring this up in the context of a broader market conversation because this has been and has been the leadership in this market. And so if this cracks... What happens? Yeah, that's that's exactly the issue. This isn't just Facebook. Remember, you know, your MAGA or your FANG stocks, a lot of those, their business model is selling ad. It's an ad-based revenue stream. And so if that revenue stream is now in question, people are going to start pulling away from that. Then the tech stocks, which have been the leaders, and they've been a leader because they, there's growth there. And if, and if there's growth there while the economy is stagnating, That's where you want to be, and everybody's concentrated in that. So now you have, okay, wait, there's some questions about the revenue stream. You've got everybody concentrated in these names, uh, and then everybody rushes for the exit uh, for the same time. So, you know, in the bigger picture for the market, it's not very constructive for the market, let alone what's going on with COVID. But this issue in and of itself 
could really take a lot of wind out of the sails. You know, all this week, Jeff, we've been talking about, you know, the reclosing trade, so to speak, because we had been rallying on hopes of a reopening. And here we are, in fact, reclosing in some parts of the country. Um, what does this do to that V that we've seen in this market if that V was built on a reopening rally? I mean, I think it makes it really difficult, right? And, and we talked about the large cap growth trade for a while, and we were saying, look, these are priced for perfection. If you have issues like we're seeing with Facebook, then those valuations are vulnerable. But what we started to see and what the narrative started to become was this rotation, or not even a rotation, but probably a broadening out, and it was all predicated upon this economic V recovery. And it was small caps, it was value, financials, industrials, all of these areas the market started to participate and people started to get excited. And, and for a large part of the last few weeks, they were helping drive the market higher. But if you look at those areas of the market, all of them hit the 200-day moving average that was downward sloping and have started to weaken ever since. So I think paying attention to that and taking clues from those areas of the market in terms of how that might end up impacting the overall trajectory is really important. I'd also look at things like oil, for example, starting to get close to a difficult technical level here. And then credit spreads have been widening out as well. So all of these things I think are worth paying attention to to try to figure out how severe this correction might be. Because to be sure, we were overbought. We talked about this a month ago. We had 97% of stocks in the S&P trading above that 50-day moving average. So at the very least, we needed a pause. And I think we're getting it here because of all these questions about the reopening. Yeah, the question is, how long is this pause? For the week, the S&P 500 is down less than 3%. So just a tiny drop in the bucket compared to the massive gains off the March 23rd lows, Tim. So where are we in your view in terms of processing this reclosing? Well, it's two out of the last three weeks that have been painful. And if you think about uh, between the closing of the reopening, between, you know, the Fed this week was a very heavy hand. And I think the Fed over the last two weeks with the, Fowles, the, the Powell speech uh, and, and just the Fed is telling you that the economy and banks are, are in a challenged place. And, and they're telling you we're going to throw everything we possibly can. So um, I, I think getting back to the market forces are that, yes, mega cap tech are great balance sheets and there is growth. And, and yes, valuations are stretched. But but we've also talked about we'll spend more time later in the show talking about the retail investors. But but yes, there's strong hands there. But there's a lot of weak hands there, too. So if we give that ground, I, I think, look, there, there are folks on our panel. There are folks uh, certainly around the market that have said, uh, look at the performance in banks, transports. Uh, and that's really telling you late late cyclical stocks really where we're going, despite the fact that there was a great rotation there you know, six to eight weeks ago. So um, I, I think we are assessing the economic reality. Jobless claims this week, uh, I think, were a reminder uh, that they were a little better than expected, but also uh, not uh, necessarily the kind of improvement you wanted to see week over week. The fact that you're closing back up a bunch of uh, businesses that are related to hospitality means that there is a large group of, of, uh, uh, of workers that are going to be put back on ice. And that's something that's going to put a major strain, I think, on the economy that was starting to see those exit numbers in May look better. So, um, I, you know, I, I just think where we came from is critical, though, to the price action this week. The general referred to the overbought, overbought territory, and I would echo that. The general being Jeff Mills, FYI, for people who are following well, along at yeah, home. Yeah, I mean, obvious, I mean yeah. obviously, I'm saying the obvious, but I just want to make sure, um, just like when we talk about ARPU, average revenue yeah. per user kind of thing. Anyway, um, BK, when it, yes. <laughs> when it comes to um, some of the data, we got, also got interesting numbers on income, which we had been saying for so long was propped up 
by extra stimulus, basically the extra overlay of unemployment benefits because of, of COVID-19, which will expire come July 31st. And when that happens, there was a bar owner in Texas today on CNBC saying that it will be cataclysmic in August um, mm-hmm. if there is no further yeah. fiscal stimulus. Right. And I think, you know, yes, that is actual. That's the concern. I do think what you saw today in the market is that uh, the market was starting to price in the potential for more potentially Fed action uh, or some more fiscal stimulus. You're going to need it. I mean, if we have this so-called second wave, to me, it's just a continuation of the first wave. It's this big tsunami that's coming through, unfortunately. Uh, But if you have this and you're closing things down again, then that augurs for more stimulus. And so you look at what the Fed's mandate is. Their mandate is full employment and stable inflation. Well, you know, we have neither of those at this point in time. Uh, So they've got all kinds of cover that they can do that. And let's not forget we have an election coming up in November. And it's going to come down to which politician can put the most money in people's pockets. And so, you know, I think you look at what gold did today relative to the equity markets, and gold is really the trade here. It absolutely skyrocketed as once we saw, 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 once we saw the stats from Arizona and Texas and Florida. I get that, BK, but underlying all of what you said, I sense of a hint of bullishness that there are all sorts of backstops for this market. The Fed, fiscal so stimulus, think, all these things yeah. that are going to make these things happen this year. So that, that is, I think, one thing that has been driving the market. And I think if you look forward, yeah, I think you have to be aware of that, that, hey, listen, there can be a ton of stimulus, a ton more money coming in. So, you know, I, I don't know if I'd paint myself as a bull. Today's action was pretty bad. I think we probably have several more days of negative action, but then we'll see what happens. We'll see. As we get towards the end of July, do, does more money go into people's bank accounts? If that's the case, then the market's going to look through this valley. They're going to look to 2021 when earnings are normalized and people are going to buy. All right. Well, let's get the opinion of the chart master, Carter Braxtonworth. What is history pointing to for the markets in the second half? Carter, what are you looking at? Well, it's pointing to gold. That's for sure. And uh, BK's, I think, dead right on that. But let's uh, let's talk about the market. So uh, first slide of four. What happens when you're in a calendar year at the midpoint and you're down? I mean, it's something to look at, meaning it's fairly rare. If you look at all instances, history of the data, you can see there uh, the market at the midpoint, June 30, has been down 33 years in its 92-year history, 1928 to present. So the odds of being down are lower than the odds of being up. Markets are built to go up. And so you see the odds there, 35%. Next slide. So the question is, what happens in years when you've had an inauspicious first half? And you see the data here. Uh, second half performance in years where at the June 30 point, the midpoint, you're down. The average return for the whole year um, is 0.71%, I mean, meaning the second half performance, excuse me. And you see the median is one34 Those are very muted numbers. Now, um, it doesn't have to be the median or mean. It could be better, and it could be a lot worse. But the point is, uh, an inauspicious start usually means not the best in terms of uh, what comes in the second half. Two charts on the S&P. Next slide. Next chart. So take a look. It's the same one we've been looking at together uh, night after night. We know our high is 3,400. We know our low is 2,200. We know we 
crashed, we ricocheted, and we basically are sort of churning now. But the key to the churn is this. Do we get down to that 2,800? Do we retrace 50%? I think we do. Last chart. And so here you see the same chart as on the last uh, slide, but I've drawn the trend line. This is the simple trend line that's been in effect since the March low. So the market has tracked this uh, line quite precisely, and now it is broken. Uh, the presumption is that the break is not over and that there's more to go. I'm in the camp that we go to 2,800, and we figure it out from there. All right. Uh, Carter, thank you. Carter Braxtonworth of Cornerstone Research. We will see you a little bit later on OA. Um, let's trade this, and we'll go to the general for this. I mean, in terms of using history as your guide, Jeff, it seems uh-huh. like it, the risk-reward just may not be there for a 0.74% on average and a median of 1.34% upside. I mean, that's certainly the camp that I've been in, right? And I think... To BK's point earlier, it's a little bit hard to determine which direction the market's going to go just because this tug of war is going on, right? You have policy support, economic data probably gets incrementally better from here, but then you have all of these issues in the second half of the year, not the least of which is the election. And I think we're going to start talking about that more and more. And in terms of using history as our guide, typically presidents do not fare so well when they've experienced a recession in the two years leading up to their re-election bid. I think Calvin Coolidge was the only president to be reelected when experiencing a recession in those previous two years. So in terms of the market trying to game who's going to win the election, what that means for the corporate tax rate, things of that nature, I think uh, there's a lot of headwinds in the second half of the year. So I, I, I'm, I'm leaning toward risk versus reward. I feel like we have to change his nickname to the professor instead of the general. I mean, pulling out Calvin Coolidge. I think that's a first in fast money history. Yes, the more you know. Let's turn out to the airlines, one of the worst performing sectors today. Phil is watching a couple of headlines in this space. Hey, Phil. Hey, Melissa, this afternoon, airline CEOs were at the White House meeting with Vice President Mike Pence. They're there discussing uh, potential options when it comes to further screening of passengers. And what we're talking about here is should there be temperature checks done? Should there be some type of contact tracing system set up? And if so, who would be in charge of it? How much would it cost? Is it the TSA? Is it the airlines? Is it the airport? This has been pushed around within the airline industry for a couple of months now. We'll be curious to see whether or not anything comes out of this meeting. Meanwhile, when you look at the industry overall right now, uh, it's under pressure because, well, the metrics don't look very good. First of all, you've got passenger levels that are down 77% compared to the same day a year ago. That's for the numbers yesterday when about 620,000 people were flying. The average daily cash burn for all the U.S. airlines, more than $100 million a day right now, probably closer to about $120 million, and that's where it is right now. And then you have the airline unions, aviation unions, six of them, writing to congressional leaders saying you should extend the payroll aid. Remember the $32 billion that they put aside to guarantee jobs through September 30th? They would like that to continue. As you take a look at the airline index, one reason why it is unlikely to continue and one reason why we are likely to see job cuts in the fall The airlines have already made substantial cuts with a lot of their salaried workers, and they're still burning through tens of millions of dollars, and that's not expected to change until at least the end of the year, if not well into the first quarter. It's going to be tough for those unions to convince congressional leaders to give billions of dollars more. Finally, take a look at United. Today it said that it will join Delta as the second airline to resume flights to China. That starts on July 8th, Melissa leaving from San Francisco, going through Seoul, then on to Shanghai.
Melissa, well, back to you. If the middle seat's empty, Phil, maybe I'd go. But that's another issue in this industry, right, yes. with American. All right, Phil LeBeau, thank you. Um, and what I was referring to is American Airlines announcing that it's going to lift the uh, limits on capacity. So that middle seat next to you on an American flight, it may not be there empty for you. Uh, Tim Seymour, what do you make of this space here, given all the bad news that Phil just got, ran through for us? Well, I, I think every carrier not created equal, and American is the one that maybe needs to pull out the most stops and really, I think, is the most at risk. And, and you know, this week a theme has been nationalization of major industries. And, I, and I, you know, American Airlines is the one most at risk of needing, you know, dilutive government equity and a payback. So um, when you look at the cash burn rates and where capacity has come in, uh, and, yes, we got excited about capacity doubling uh, for July from, from May levels. Uh, look, I, I, it's all about the sequence and the, the, the timeline to recovery. Um, there's nothing about this week that helped that timeline story for airlines. Um, having said that, uh, something like a Delta, which traded through uh, 37 up to 38, pulled all the way back to kind of a 26 handle um, off of that 18 handle low. I mean, they, they've retraced uh, 50% or more of those gains that they gave you, say, four weeks ago. I think airlines are pricing in a lot of bad news, and they're not all created equal. Uh, I would not be going for balance sheets that are um, at the bottom of the heap here. Guy, I thought I heard Flip barking in the background. I don't know if he was barking in agreement no. with Tim or disagreeing. That's actually Russell. Oh, sorry. Russ, sorry, Russell. stop. Stop, Russ. Joys of I mean, WFH. it's the craziest thing. I mean, it's a nuts. <laughs> wow. So there's so much to unravel. Like Just a couple quick mm-hmm. things. Um, you know, the Griswolds went to Wally World, but as the Moosehead Front should have told them, the park was closed. Why do I bring that up? Because where are you flying to? There's no place to go, number one. So the airlines are absolutely in trouble. And we talked about it in May when Delta said they were reducing pilots from 14,000 to 7,000. That was the day to buy it. We said the stock probably goes to 31 and went to 35. You buy Delta on a day of trades, 120 million shares. I think that happens at 24. Quickly, we called Jeff Mills the general. His mother-in-law is upset by that. She shouldn't be. It's a term of endearment, like the Deborah Winger movie you might be familiar with. Is general we not love high the general. enough? Is it not high so, enough in the scale of, of military accolades no, no, or something? I think, no, he's, no, this, he's this, in the hey, Parthenon, listen, listen, no this, is, this is the coolest so. nickname I've ever had. I want it to stick. This is the best nickname I've ever had. Keep it That's up. That's not saying a lot. I know. All right, we got to go. Coming up, Amazon, the latest tech giant to get into the self-driving car game, why the company is making a billion-dollar bet on a secretive startup. And later on Options Action, new to the trading world, what every retail trader needs to know about how to use options. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Amazon making a big deal in the self-driving car space. Deirdre Bose has got the latest details on this deal. Hey, Dee. 
Hey, Melissa, it's not its first either. I'll get to that in a minute. But the price that Amazon paid was north of a billion dollars, making it one of Amazon's biggest deals. And opportunistic, Zooks was last valued in the private markets at $3.2 billion. Now, aside from Amazon's monster $14 billion purchase of Whole Foods in 2017, Amazon has shelled out a billion or close to a billion dollars for companies only a few times. That includes Zappos, PillPack, Ring and Twitch. You can see the timeline here. Now, the big question is, of course, what does Amazon want to do with a self-driving startup? Well, Zeus's technology fits into Amazon's years-long push into robotics, adding to a fleet that already consists of drones, warehouse robots, and mini delivery vehicles. Now, another somewhat farther-fetched theory is that Amazon could actually develop its own autonomous ride-hailing fleet, and that would pit it against Alphabet's Waymo and Uber and Lyft at a time when those ride-sharing companies are scaling back on autonomous vehicle spending amid the pandemic. At last, last year, Amazon invested in another self-driving car company, Aurora, and electric truck venture Rivian, perhaps making that theory not so far-fetched. Lastly, guys, got a note. The deal got the attention of Elon Musk, who tweeted today, Jeff Bezos is a copy cat emoji. Ha ha. I liked his use of the use of the emoji, Deidre. I thought that really sold the tweet. Um, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa. <laughs> uh, speaking of Amazon, SunTrust raising its price target on the tech giant to a street high of 3400 The firm believing that COVID was a catalyst for an even faster transition to e-commerce and that Amazon is in a strong position to retain new customers who flocked to the platform during the pandemic. When I heard about the Zooks news, I immediately thought, BK, about the Rivian uh, investment and the fact that they're trying to develop their own transportation hubs and that they could maybe mm-hmm. cut down on lots of labor costs if they can make their whole fleet self-driving in some way, particularly long haul. That's a hundred percent what I originally thought as well as soon as I heard this news is that they're going to try to cut out that labor force. Now, Bezos has said they need to be making billion-dollar bets. This is one of those billion-dollar bets. They're a big company. But for a billion dollars, they could save an awful lot of money if they could actually turn their delivery fleet into autonomous vehicles. You know, as for Amazon and the SunTrust 3400, I would consider COVID to be the great Amazon stimulus act. I mean, everybody's been ordering off them. They have, you can't even get same-day delivery in some places anymore because they're so busy. So, you know, if there's anything, if there's going to be a second wave as we go through this, it probably... I don't know, unfortunately, sadly, because we're having a second wave, benefits Amazon. Uh, and this is just something that you look at, this acquisition that you look at and say, hey, that's going to be something for the future. Jeff? Yeah, I mean, I thought the SunTrust note was interesting in that, you know, it obviously highlighted the trend of e-commerce, but they said 20% of the people that they interviewed actually hadn't purchased the physical good online before. I don't know necessarily where they found those people, but very interesting nonetheless. And they also said that it seems like those people are willing to continue to spend on Amazon and maybe even increase that spend. So there's a stickiness there of new customer acquisition. And I also thought about Rivian. It seems like there's some production synergies between Rivian and Zook. So look, for me, I don't think it's going to do anything incremental to the stock in the near term. But over the long term, I think it just shows that they're continuing to invest in areas where they want to be at the forefront and where the trends are, are really powerful. So I still like the stock here. I wouldn't bet against it. All right. Coming up on Options Action, losing steam. My one trader is going short at Starbucks. And in a special six o'clock hour of Fast Money, a major fashion collaboration got us thinking, what celebrity partnerships do our traders think need to happen to revive some failing companies? We've got the answers. More Fast Money coming up. 
What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. Final trade time, Tim. AT&T with low rates, we stay here. BK. You know what you don't own enough of is gold. Buy it, and when you're done doing that, you buy it again. General. I think Zoom needs a rest here. You know, it's 126% above its long-term moving average. It's 86 times sales, and it just seems like a place that's ripe for competition. So skeptical at these prices. Guy. Take two interactive. All right, that does it for us in this half hour. Don't go anywhere. Special edition of Fast Top of the Hour. OA is up next. Hi, everybody. Special hello to all you Mad Money fans. I'm Melissa Lee. Jim is off today, but you are in luck. We've got a special edition of Fast Money lined up for you. We're calling it the Fast Five. We're hitting the five hottest stories that impacted your money this week. With us tonight, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, and Brian Kelly. Let's get right to it, guys. Story number one, a social revolt pressure mounting on Facebook as more big money advertisers pull out. Breaking just moments ago, Hershey, the latest big company to join this boycott, is called Stop Hate for Profit. It joins Unilever in yanking its ads today. And the Cincinnati Business Courier reporting that P&G, Facebook's number two advertisers here in the United States, is getting ready to pull its ads. P&G protesting Facebook's, quote, failure to address the vast proliferation of hate on its platform. Facebook responding today saying it will change its policies to prohibit hate speech in its ads. The fallout was felt far and wide across the tech sector today. So what is the impact here, Guy? These are a handful of companies, but has the levy broken? Look at you, little Led Zeppelin. When the levy keeps on raining, the levy's going to break, Mel. Way to go with Mm. the Zepp reference right at the top. And we talked about this earlier in the week when Patagonia, North Face, and REI pulled, and we called it the Tenzig Norgate trade. Well, now it's a lot bigger than that, and I absolutely think it's a big deal. And quite frankly, uh, Facebook is so far behind the curve on this. They're zigging when they should be zagging, and and they're going to have to have some sort of emergency meeting because, as we said three nights ago, those companies are certainly might be the first. They're not going to be the last. And when you see Unilever out of the EU, now Hershey, Procter & Gamble would be, I'll use the word, devastating. And this isn't going away anytime soon. Stock had a big move to the downside today. I think it's emblematic of a lot of things that are going on. You know, Facebook would act as a monopoly for a long time, so they never really had to focus on these things. Now when they have to focus on it, they're sort of, they're sort of damned if they do, damned if they don't. And they're in a little bit of trouble here in terms of the stock, I believe. Tim? 
Yeah, we could have also used Neil Sedaka's breaking up is hard to do because the other side of this is advertisers for a long time really have had to accept uh, whatever it was that Facebook put out there. So uh, I, I really commend Verizon, Unilever coming in, uh, Hershey's coming in, uh, not just, you know, folks. Uh, at first, it seemed like it was that kind of bizarre collection of companies, all great companies. But it seemed you had to wear Birkenstocks, eat granola and listen to the Grateful Dead to, to have problems with Facebook. Meanwhile, I think the entire country has a major problem with Facebook. And I, and I think uh, very interesting to see the conditionality of what these advertisers put out there. And, and in fact, uh, until a change. And so Unilever, uh, I believe, has said uh, not until the end of the year, not just one month, not just a, you know, some type of a show of force or a slap on the wrist. And I think that's critical. And I think Facebook has now had to respond. And I believe they've responded in, in the last few hours to say uh, they are adjusting policies. They're not necessarily going to uh, let, uh, I believe, you know, you know unworthy news uh, pass without some kind of a prompt that's put on it. And I think this is something that the market is kind of in wait and see mode. But very important for the market, especially when you consider that mega cap tech uh, has been such a dominant thing here. But for Facebook, uh, this does not end Monday morning. The paradigm, BK, has always been that Facebook is in control. There's nowhere else to go. So advertisers go there no matter what. And that is what has helped them through every scandal that they have managed to step through. And then the, you see the stock rise. So has that all changed with this? Yeah, it does appear to be that way. I mean, you asked at the top if, you know, has the levy broken? I think it has, because when you have companies like Unilever and Hershey now uh, getting on, go. other companies have to go along and have to actually do it. So, um, you know, I, I think this changes their business model drastically. Remember, they have been a platform. They have not been a journal, a, a newspaper or a journalist. They've been agnostic to what has been on their platform. And that's been part of their business model. That's how they can scale. That's how they, they, they're able to uh, grow so big. But now they're going to have to pay attention to that. And remember, they don't have anybody necessarily inside the company that's probably equipped to do this. So I agree. You know, this is not a one-day problem. This is a longer-term problem where they're going to have to revamp their business. And then secondarily, if we look at tech as the big picture, you know, NASDAQ was up something like 10 12% for the year. Um, and that's because there's growth there. If there's going to be, if there's not going to be growth there anymore, if your <laughs> revenues are declining because advertisers are pulling out, then that really questions the NASDAQ valuations. We're laughing, not at you, BK, but because apparently the dogs were let out at Guy no, Dami's BK, home. I mean, not. it's like Russell well, and Flip and whatever, whatever other dog is there. It's Rocky. So what I'll tell you is they're, dogs they're barking. barking now, because they heard the great song off Led Zeppelin 4 as our crack producing team and EC is about to play. That's all. <laughs> there it is. For your, for your listening you pleasure I mean, on a Friday is, evening. Nice. No, but it's the great, it's the great John sure Bonham Zeppelin. and John Paul Jones. I mean, just crushing it right there, Mel. And you know what else is crushing it? I think well, some and, of the and, market and, calls are about to be crushing it, Tim. Well, definitely. And uh, it's just it's great because we know that Jimmy Page uh, uh, and Mr. Plant are big, big fans of Fast Money. So it's nice we can do this on a Friday afternoon, Mel. Are they Mr. Led and Mr. Zeppelin? <laughs> Please don't do that. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Let's move on. Monday. On that Monday. So Remember this? On Monday. Okay. <laughs> when this whole thing broke. 
about Facebook. Only a handful of companies had joined this boycott. We asked Loop Ventures' Gene Munster, Fast Money Friend, if this was a real threat to Facebook. Here's what he said. I think one of the disappointing parts about this uh, with these advertisers that have made announcements is how quick they were to say that they're going to come back, likely come back in August. What that means to me is that they're making a statement. They're showing some form of support around the topic, but ultimately they are going to embrace Facebook as a platform. Gene is back. He's changed his tune since then. And of course, a lot has happened. So uh, why do you say the walls are now closing in on Facebook? Um, Mel, I think there are two waves coming at the company. The first is what we're dealing with, some of the hate speech on the platform. And I am surprised at actually how quickly Facebook has responded to these boycotts. I actually think that they are working. Uh, the announcement today that Zuckerberg made is he's had a lot of pressure to do something over the last three weeks. And now, since the advertisers have moved, the bigger advertisers have come in, he's actually making changes. So I think that's one piece to it. I suspect that some advertisers, by these changes that have been made today, announced today, will uh, return to Facebook and start advertising on Facebook again. I think others will want to see more. But think of this as wave one. This is kind of a small reoccurring waves that will be a headwind to their business and create anxiety for investors. But then there's a bigger wave that's coming, a much larger picture. And if we look back at where Facebook and Twitter have come from, when they originally started, they were nascent platforms that didn't have influence. Now they each have a significant reach, global reach. And because of that, they are reaching a different standard. And ultimately, the second wave, the one that is more potent, is going to be around what's going to happen with the regulation of Facebook and Twitter as publishers. And if I think about this, this is not a question about the left or the right. I think both parties are going to recognize that these platforms are very different than they were 10 years ago. And so I see this next wave as a wave that is going to create some uncertainty for investors on top of the first wave that we're dealing with right now. When you put all of this together, uh, I think that uh, it is uh, a company that will struggle to regain its multiple. This is an advertising business. Great businesses in the future need to enrich people's lives and be more than just advertising. And I think that that, unfortunately, won't work. They are doing some incredible things around the future of work okay. and virtual reality, augmented reality. But this is going to be a challenge. So it sounds like you, you think the best days for Facebook in terms of valuation are behind it. Does that impute to valuation discounts for the other social media platforms? They, they face many of the same issues, if not all of the same issues. I think it's going to impact all of uh, both Twitter and Facebook specifically. I think less so Google. But I do think this, uh, this, this, this other uh, factor that around uh, recognizing that these are massive platforms and there needs to, they need to be recognized as publishers and therefore regulated. I think that that will ultimately weigh on, on uh, Facebook's multiple. I, I was encouraged at the end of Zuckerberg's post today, he mentioned that he really wants Facebook to be a force of good in the world. And I believe that. I believe he truly wants to make Facebook a force of good. Unfortunately, uh, Facebook is a pit bull, and a pit bull, uh, it is difficult to convert to a lapdog. And uh, I think that ultimately investors will, uh, will discount Facebook's multiple because of that. Gene, always great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Uh, Tim, you had a, quite a reaction to what Gene said. Yeah. 
Look, and I'm not, it's not at Gene. Uh, I'm not adding Gene. Uh, this is ultimately, I've heard this from Facebook before. Uh, I mean, and I think Gene rightly pointed out the pit bull's a good term. Facebook has never changed their policies for anyone. Uh, Facebook has not let business interests get in the way of their policies. So they're doing it now, but I, I think we really have to commend some of these advertisers. I, I think it was a bold move by Verizon. I think it's a bold move. I mean, Procter & Gamble, Verizon, Unilever, these are, these are the biggest advertisers in the world, and they're making a stand. And, and by the way, I think this adds brand value to what they're doing. In other words, I think this is addition by subtraction. Uh, I also think that there's many digital platforms from which to, to uh, you know, invest behind content in this world. And, and I know we've talked about the stranglehold that Facebook has, but really, I mean, think of every major media company, and they're all unleashing an over-the-top digital platform, content galore. Um, think of all the sites. Think of all the new kind of media sites. Think mm -hmm. of the Twitches of the world. So uh, I don't think people are beholden to Facebook. Yes, it's the biggest platform. Um, but when the biggest advertisers in the world and the biggest brand influencers in the world make this statement, it's about time and it's very good news. I mean, they have to. Corporate America has, has come and said, you know, we're going to donate all this money to all these causes like the NAACP. And then if they don't, then boycott when the NAACP says, hey, you know what, we want to boycott Facebook along with other organizations. They risk looking like big hypocrites. It's all money that they just want to dole out and it's not actually walking the walk. Um, so there's that issue. But I mean, in terms of advertisers, Guy, on top of these waves that Gene Munster is talking about, there is a current wave that it is dealing with, and that is a cutback in advertising. I mean, big advertisers may just simply use this yeah. opportunity of saying, I want to reset what we spend on social media platforms. Times are not great for us right now, and we want to turn that spending back, and now is the time to do it. And small and medium-sized businesses, which are feeling so much pain, they're not going to be there in, in such force either. 100%. Could not agree with you more. And I think if you were to strap a lie detector on a lot of these big companies you just mentioned, they, they were advertising through Facebook because they had to, not necessarily because they wanted to. They had to because Facebook was pretty much the only game in town. Well, they're no longer the only game in town, and now they have problems. And again, I commend these companies absolutely, but the fact that the over in the, earlier this week we heard the first three companies say it was just for the month of July, Verizon sort of open-ended it. Now you're talking about Procter and & Gamble and Hershey. I mean, that is a cascade, and it's going to continue over the weekend. It's, it's not going to stop, in my opinion. Facebook has an existential risk. What we've said for quite some time is, I don't like the platform. There's nothing really did. remarkable that I enjoy about Facebook. But advertisers have nowhere to go, and people aren't leaving the site. Well, advertisers are leaving, and the next shoe might be people say, you know what, I don't really need Facebook in my life anymore. That's a problem. All right, let's turn now to story number two. The reopening rollback, America at a crossroads as coronavirus cases soar in certain pockets of the country. Texas and Florida both taking drastic measures today to slow their reopening plans. And on Wall Street, investors are taking notice. Stocks plunging today on fears. A bigger shutdown could crush hopes of a full economic recovery happening anytime soon. Brian Kelly, our V off the bottom, our, our rally off the bottom was built on reopening. And here we are. What does that mean? Yeah, I think it's it's a big concern. Frankly, I have been a bit surprised how quickly America has reopened. Um, you know, certainly being in the tri-state area during this uh, pandemic, you have kind of the sense that everything's going to stay closed for a while. But when you get outside of the tri-state area, all of a sudden people are, are getting on planes. Look at American Airlines today. They're, they're seeing demand for their products. So that has surprised me a bit. 
Now, that being said, with this new outbreak that we're seeing kind of in the south and the southwest, you're already seeing behavior change a bit. So you look at some of the TomTom data from Houston, you're seeing you know, traffic data slowly starting to go down. You look at open table data from Houston, Dallas, Austin, Phoenix, you're seeing over the last week, open table seated diners data year over year change going down again. So they have already been closing again. So if I'm going to pull something positive out of this, if people change their behavior, then you should start to see some of the infections go down, and that may be a positive thing. But in the meantime, the market's going to price in kind of the worst case scenario. We close down again, uh, and we don't know when we're going to reopen until we get a vaccine. Yeah. Tim? Well, I think, you know, the, the, uh, the Magic Kingdom this week was really important. And I, I would point to, uh, in terms of, you know, things we should be watching, uh, you know, when Disney says it's going to be really time to open and they're comfortable doing it and there's an ability to actually, uh, you know, keep people safe. And I think Disney is one of the most conservative companies in the world, one of the most brand conscious companies in the world. And I think truly cares about its customers and its workers. Uh, and therefore, um, that is critical. When, when we saw Disney roll back the, the first time, I think it was part of the, that deluge. So uh, the other data this week, jobless claims were, were not terribly good. I, I realize that the, 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 the growth or the decrease really in, in the additional joblessness is something to be uh, somewhat encouraged by. So it's a glass full on the glass half empty. But this was not a good number. Uh, be reminded that 20 million people uh, continue to file for, for unemployment. I, I don't see how that gets better in the short to medium term. So um, much of the country is rolling back um, what they never did in the first place. This may still be phase one of, of the disease for a lot of people. So I think uh, it was an important week for that. Well, we're learning the hard way, and we've said this before, is that this virus doesn't care if you want to go to see the Hall of Presidents at Disney World or if you want to get on a plane and go out there to Colorado where BK spends a lot of his time. I mean, it has no interest in any of that. It doesn't care if you're bullish or bearish in the stock market. It is what it is, and we absolutely rush this thing back, and I understand the reasons behind it, but it's problematic, and you have to ask yourself, where do you get back into some of these stocks? Disney, for example, spent a lot of time around $102, which is about $7 from where we are now. That's a place that I would begin to look at it, but it, there's no compelling reason, in my opinion, to believe that somehow magically we're going to reopen to where we were in January. And that's something we've been saying for quite some time. Well, that was going to be my next question, you know, in, in terms of getting in on better levels. How much better is this level going to get, Brian Kelly? In other words, would we retest March 23rd? Or is March 23rd just a whole different ballgame because we were nowhere near a vaccine? And at least now we can see a finish line uh, sometime in, in the beginning of next year. Yeah, I think I think there's an argument to be made. We've had this tug of war in the market between can you pump enough money into the economy via fiscal and monetary stimulus to get us through the valley and to the point where we get to a vaccine. So from March 23rd to now, we're several months closer to it. There has been some progress on that. So I think, you know, the market's going to be looking and saying, you know what, there is going to be some kind of floor under this. Uh, at some point with fiscal stimulus, the election coming up, as I mentioned before, I think this election is going to be about which politician, which party can put m the most money in people's bank accounts. So viewed in that light, you know, maybe March 23rd isn't in, in the picture anymore. 
That being said, if we if people just completely well, close down and the entire country closed down again, and again, Europe today saying U.S. we can't U.S. citizens may not be able to go there, all those things actually would have a deleterious effect on the economy. And I don't care how much money you print, how much the money printer is going to go. Brrr, you just it's not going to help one bit. So it may be, and there may be a little et tu brute if I'm talking about the, the Fed, uh, and yet they're the one that got us out of the Ides of March. I don't think we're going back there. I think as long as the Fed is where they are, and they've pretty much said, we will do what it takes. It, there's been a lot of vitriol this week. I've had a fair amount. I, I, I don't love what we're doing. But you're asking me about the market, and you're asking me about levels. Um, one of the reasons we got to the middle of March in those levels, uh, pick, your, pick your bottoms, but you know, somewhere around 2090 one Sunday night on S&P Futures, um, was because of where we came from. So granted, uh, I, I would argue that seven or eight days ago when we were back up near those highs, we had gotten to a, a place that was overdone. But we weren't as overdone. And I think the, 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 the context of the market in a, uh, with a disease where there's at least much more education, there's some awareness about a timeline, there's at least some sense of how we can control the impact of this disease and the Federal Reserve says, I don't think we get anywhere near March lows. And that, that may be a difficult thing to say with a, a bad week behind us, but I'm going to stay there. Unless, unless this, is, this becomes, I mean, the longer there is this sort of reclosing and, and a rollback of the reopenings, the more it could become a solvency issue as opposed to a liquidity issue. And a solvency issue is an issue that the Fed cannot solve, cannot help with what it does, Guy. I mean, I don't want to throw red meat into a bear den because I feel, I feel like that's what I'm doing by tossing it to you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't, that seems like it could be a problem at some point. They, 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 they can only do so much. And we've talked about the, the Fed being at the point of diminishing marginal returns. And I think we're getting pretty close to it. I think you bring up a very interesting point and something that's been discussed without question. They can control a lot of things. That's one thing they can't control. I love the A2 Brute, by the way, then Fall Caesar. Great job. That's your Jesuit education, number Thank one. Thank you. And BK's what use of deleterious is a wonderful word because, as you know, Melissa, Five syllables. wonderful haiku Can you spell word. it? Wonderful Guy, haiku you, word. As can a you matter spell of, it? No, so, so I probably shouldn't use it. But I'm going to use it in the, a tweet, by the way, in the break. We're just uh, getting started here on Fast Money 5. Up next, we're tackling the three other big money stories from this week, including a possible fumble for college football. The special edition of Fast Money will be back right after this. Welcome back to the special edition of Fast Money. We're counting down our top five stories of the week. Two down, three to go, but got to take a fast break. Check out shares of Gap surging nearly 19% today after Kanye West announced he is teaming up with the retailer. So this got us thinking... What other struggling companies could benefit from some serious star power? Guy, what do you think? I have a great idea, Mel. I know you're a huge uh, NBA fan. And huge. as you know, the great, the great Vince Carter retired this week after 22 years in the NBA. I think our crack staff is about to play a video of him. But you may recall in the 2000 Olympics, wow. he dunked over... Frederick Weiss. Now, of course, for you Nick fans out there, Sandy Kennold watching, Frederick Weiss was the 15th pick in the 1999 draft by the New York Knicks. Never played a minute, but he was posterized by Vince Carter. Why and? do I bring it up? Because Air France should hire <laughs> Vince Carter, and the ad should be Air France dominating our airspace for 20 years, and Vince Carter is your guy. Brilliant. Wow. That was a long story to get to that. 
Deep end of the pool, guy. Deep um, end of the pool. I don't pool. know how you're going yeah, to follow that, that, follow that uh, BK, but go ahead. I mean, I felt like I was on a flight from Paris on that one. You wake up all groggy. That was a long way to go. You know what I, you know what I would say? Stay in the USA. And listen, Shaquille O'Neal, probably one of the best celebrity business people that we have in this country, and a struggling brand out there, Harley Davidson. They're having a tough time because baby boomers already bought their Harleys or hogs, right? So here's the tagline. Shaq goes into Harley Davidson. You see the USA on your HOG. Shaquille Harley, that's the play. Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I do love the hog. I do love Shaquille. And this one might be a little counterintuitive on both sides, but here we go. Peloton, which doesn't really need a brand improvement, um, but I think still could get a shot in the arm, and there's going to be a lot of competition coming down. And they get it. That's right. They get it from Lance Armstrong, the guy everybody what? loves to hate. And can you imagine, guy, when you put on those spandex pants that you're actually biking to beat Lance Armstrong? This, this ESPN documentary on Lance doesn't make you love him anymore. In fact, it probably does the opposite. But I don't let my kids use that word around the house. So, again, Lance Armstrong takes Peloton to a new level despite the fact it's flying high. So go get your Lance Armstrong race on and crush him. I think Lance Armstrong would be the equivalent of uh, Arthur Fonzarelli jumping the shark in Happy Days. That's just my opinion. But quickly, Mel, you may notice that perched over Brian Kelly's shoulder are a black pair of Crocs. And I'm wondering aloud, is that some sort of product placement? That is BK being uh, compensated by said Crocs. So is he like the Kanye to Crocs? And if he is, I hope it's a lot of I hope it's a lot of money. Right. <laughs> right. Interesting. Interesting. So you see, though, Crocs actually Crocs sent those to me because they've got Bitcoin and Ethereum little plugins inside of them. They made them special <laughs> just for the BK. I never wow. worn them outside. <laughs> The more you don't need to know. Two big stories down, three to go. Still ahead, a possible flag on the field for college football. Why it could have some big money impact. We've got the details when we come right back. Welcome back to the Fast Five. We are counting down the five big stories of the week. Next up, growing concerns that the coronavirus could jeopardize the college football season. Sports, of course, a major revenue source for many schools and their surrounding towns. So what is the real impact if college football fumbles this fall? And, of course, the context of this is, uh, Tim, that so many college teams have resumed voluntary workouts at this point. They've tested all the players. Some of them have canceled voluntary workouts because yeah. a lot of the players come on, they test negative. And then a few days, they test positive. Look, it, it's, it's an amazing story, by the way. This is going to prevent all those other uh, leagues from being beaten up by the SEC once again. Go Gators. Um, but I, I, I think you've got a story here where, first of all, college athletics uh, also probably should be pro athletics, especially when you're talking about college football. That's another topic maybe for another show. But um, forcing these kids back out on the field right now, I, I know they want to be there. Um, but it's almost absurd what we're seeing, in my view, based upon uh, the rollback that we're seeing in other parts of the country. So uh, I love game day, uh, love ball games, love college football, love the SEC, but uh, I don't expect to see it, uh, even though I want to see it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm 100% with Tim. I don't understand. They just canceled the New York City Marathon. Last time I looked, despite the fact that 20-some thousand people are all huddled together on the Verrazano Bridge. It's not really a contact sport. So if they cancel that, which I believe is in October, 
how can you in good faith go forward with a sport that clearly is a contact one? I, I don't know how it happens. And it's not me being negative. It's just trying to be uh, somewhat pragmatic about what's going on. And the, to your point about what effect it has, it has a huge effect to so many of these universities and the surrounding towns and, quite frankly, for so many of the institutions that make a lot of money on Saturdays into the fall on the back of college football. So it's, 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 not, nece- it's not a very promising right. thing, I think, for the economy, although not a big part, the, the message it sends is not particularly good. I mean, for fundraising purposes, it is key, right, to have a championship uh, team there in terms of alumni fundraising. And Perfect. then, of course, there's the uptick in applications that typically happens the year after a team clinches or plays in a championship game. And then, of course, the impact, guys, you mentioned to neighboring towns. For Alabama, for instance, a home game is, an, on oh. average, an impact of $25 million per game. So the decision to say, you know what, we're going to wait to the very but, last minute, it's not just because they want to have a football season and, and cheer on their team. There's a whole other um, cascade of, of effects if they call off that season, BK. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's really unfortunate, right? It's not just about the college players. It's about the small businesses. It's about the vendors. It's about these smaller towns around there that really this is the industry for them. So it's a bigger impact than just, hey, I want to watch football on Saturday. I would even take it another level and say, this is really going to put colleges in a crisis. I think they already have a problem. They're selling a product that really is not worth what they're, what they're selling it for. Kids are coming out saddled with debt. They're not getting jobs that actually they can pay that debt back. Now you're saying, hey, well, when I come back to campus, there's no reason for me to be there anyway because I'm not going to be going to the college football game at Bama or or Harvard or wherever you would go. And so, you know, that to me says, what am I paying for at college? I'm not getting the job that I want. I'm not getting the experience that I want. I might as well just go online and do it that way. So I think colleges have a real problem, and this is going to be one of those catalysts we look back on and say, hey, that was the moment that, we really changed the college and university experience in the U.S. Guy's raising his hand. Um, so, Guy, you have a comment. Yes, and I, I imagine I, it's because BK mentioned you're not going to go to the football game at Harvard. Well, it's part of it. But, you know, I think for the people that did have watched play? you now for so very long on television, they're saying to themselves, did Melissa Lee just wax poetic about the University of Alabama football program? As a matter of fact, <laughs> my wife who's in the other room just texted me the same thing. She's like, look at Melissa go outstanding job by you but i think the folks at home have to be sort of saying themselves wow her knowledge is just so widespread the fact that she can just sort of rattle that off i mean just a phenom so congrats to you melissa it's impressive i try and do my homework guys (laughs) tim last word on this literally uh, that uh, Alabama's finest Tua this week uh, apparently was having a crush on Shania Twain played out over Twitter. So check that out. By the way, he's got good taste. Um, and, uh, you know, Alabama's finest. These guys rise to great heights. So the bottom line here is Tim also has a crush on Shania Twain. Coming up, the countdown continues. Up next, the one company that's revving up for a big week ahead. Fast Money 5 is back right after this.
Welcome back to the Fast Five. We are counting down the five big stories of the week. Next up, the hot new electric vehicle maker, Nikola, has been surging since its June 4th debut, up over 87 percent. Next week could be a major moment of truth for the company. Joining us now is Trevor Milton, founder and executive chairman of Nikola Motors. Welcome back, Trevor. Great to speak with you. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Monday is when reservations open up. What are you expecting? Uh, I'm expecting a lot of fun and a lot of excitement. So we've all been waiting for this for a long time. Nikola finally allows people to make paid reservations for the Nikola Badger. It's the coolest electric truck, pickup truck the world's ever seen. So, um, yeah, it's a big day on Monday. And uh, and also those reservations turn into um, tickets for Nikola World happening in December when we show off the Badger. So it's just a, the next four or five months is just going to be a, a, an incredibly fun time. You mentioned it's the coolest pickup truck the world has ever seen. The world hasn't really seen it, has it? Trevor, no. I mean, at, at what point will, will the world actually see a truck and one that can operate as opposed to seeing mock, mock-up pictures? Because that's, that's really the question for a lot of analysts and investors. They like the long-term vision. They see the total addressable market is very large. The potential is very big. But then they go back to, you guys have not made a truck yet. Well, we have made a truck. We actually made the most advanced semi-truck the world's ever seen. We showed it off last year driving on fuel cell. We made deliveries with Anheuser-Busch. These, this is our big semi-truck. So the technology's all done. We're just now bringing it into the into the smaller market. And it's kind of fun. I mean, yeah, we haven't showed it off to the world, but that's the fun of it. The next four months, everyone's got to wait. they got to get in line. And uh, Monday, the reservations open. And in, in, in December, they'll all get to see it in person. So all the critics will... Uh, so We've already seen our other trucks. In December, I, I understand at, at uh, Nikola World, you're going to line this up against some competitors. You might do a little, I don't know, racing or, or, you know, comparisons. Will it be operable in December? Will that actually be a truck that people will be able to test drive um, who are there or that you're going to actually drive onto the stage or something to that effect? Oh, yeah. I'm probably going to rip a bumper off. Whether it's ours or someone else's, I can't promise you whose is going to win. But I promise you it's going to be a show. So, yes, it will be operable. And a bumper is coming off one of the vehicles, maybe even a whole rear end of a truck. <laughs> I mentioned this because you had an interesting tweet at the beginning of June about Nikola World not being um, a fake truck show. And there was that Bloomberg article, article a couple weeks ago that, that uh, you know, asserted that you had misled the audience back in 2016 um, when you were unveiling the Nikola One, making references to a, a truck that was drivable when in actuality it lacked parts that would enable it to operate at all. Are you suing Bloomberg over this? Did you, did you not make those comments? Was it, in fact, a sort of a, a fake truck show in 2016? No, it was a total hit job. It's really sad. I talked with him before he even had the article out. It was all recorded. He refuses to release the recording. And he would show the world the truth. I mean, the answer was, is every part on that truck was functional. We just didn't feel safe driving it at that time. That was our first truck, what, four or five years ago? It was all operable, but it wasn't really that safe. Like, it could have killed someone in the audience. We didn't know. We were new. And so all the parts were there, though. We even took them out and showed them on the table to people. And, and so it was kind of sad that... I think it was just a it was just a hit job. Someone wanted clicks. Um, you know, it just wasn't that cool. But that's okay. I mean, it comes with the territory when you're when you're coming out here with this kind of valuation and excitement. Everyone always targeting for you. And I I kind of laughed with them because I said, look, there's a lot of things you can hit me on. This is one that's kind of crazy because that was five years ago, and the people there will tell you. Um, everyone there, we actually talked about it at the show. So. Not sure uh, why he picked that fight. Okay, so so between now and December 3rd through 5th, when, when Nikola World happens, you're asking investors to basically say, we believe you in terms of your timeframes for delivering 
these vehicles, whether it be the Nikola One or the Badger. We believe you in terms of the reservations turning into actual actual orders. What can you tell us, though, in terms of tangible progress towards meeting production targets, whether it be who you've partnered with for the Badger or what what stage you are in, in the manufacturing process? Yes, yeah, so we've got a couple of big things going on over the next four or five months uh, that will give a lot of comfort to people. One is we have our factory in Ulm, Germany with Iveco. We did a joint venture with them. We have the first ever zero emission semi truck coming off the assembly line right now, hand built units. I'll be taking videos of those, showing some testing of those to the world as well over the next uh, you know following months. That'll be a lot of fun. The Nikola Badger, I'll be leaking certain videos to the public as well when they're, you know, it's, it's all about the lead up. I mean, the four months all the way into, uh, well, I guess, however many months until December that leading up into that is the excitement. So we don't want to give it all away at once, but um, we'll be announcing who, who's going to build the Nikola Badger with us in the next couple of months. Um, we'll announce how many reservations we have. They open up, you know, Monday, this Monday, 11 o'clock Eastern, all the Nikola Badger reservations open up so people can get in line with them. And they also get a ticket to Nikola World. So there's going to be a lot of data, a lot of leaked videos. I've done, if you followed me in the last few days, I've done videos on our battery technology where we have the only submerged battery technology really out there that's really, really advanced. It's pretty awesome. I did videos on that, I've done videos on our infotainment system. All these are systems that people thought were fake. And so it's just kind of cool to like, it's kind of fun to prove the critics wrong a little bit every time, not just give everything away in one day. You, you can concede though, Trevor, that proving the critics wrong involves actually not just making videos and talking about these fantastic technologies, but actually putting them to work. So there's a little bit of skepticism amongst your critics at this point, because everything or many things that you're promising are still promises, even though they are they are there and they're they're promising technologies. Um, I want to ask you about what has pressured the stock in recent days, and that is a registration of warrants um, filed with the SEC it is expected to become effective in the coming days. I don't know if you have any comment as to when you expect that to happen, because that could be a major overhang for this stock. I mean, J.P. Morgan is estimating in, in its initiation notes that that can mean tens of millions of shares coming to market of Nikola. Yeah, I'll try to answer the, the best I can without uh -huh. getting in trouble with the SEC. So uh, ultimately, you have warrants that are going to come in. And once those are approved by the, uh, you know, with our S-1 filing, we're waiting on the SEC to give us the S-1 approval. That could take anywhere from a couple weeks to a couple months. No one has any timeline on that because it's the SEC. And so it's kind of interesting. A lot of people are putting articles out there that all these shares are hitting and it's not even true. It's not accurate. Some will eventually these shares will come online. Um, people have bought shares. They, they deserve them. But we don't know when they're going to come. And when they do come, most of these shareholders that we have are long term shareholders. They're like, you know what? I have no desire to sell them in this for the long run. There are some that will because the value is increased so much that they're required to sell some of their portfolio because they can't have one item have that much value in a portfolio. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's the, you know, that's the, I guess that's the punishment for doing really well. So some will sell some, but other people will buy. So it's just the stock market. That's how it goes. Trevor, it's always great to speak with you. We hope we'll uh, talk to you again and keep us informed on, on how many, are you going to give us a number on Monday? Yeah, I don't know about Monday because we'll be getting all that data in, yeah. but we'll see. It depends on, it depends on all the data, but I will be giving out some information coming after that after that day i'm just not sure when because okay. it just we have to compile all the data we look forward to it trevor thank you thanks. trevor milton of nicola all right guy what do you think well i was absent the day in high school we did the periodic tables so i'm not familiar with the properties of hydrogen but what i will say is jp morgan just initiated with a 45 dollars price target and it feels like that's where the stock is going to go 
This could very well be a BK put it in the draw stock, much like Tesla was. We literally have 10 seconds. Would you say it's put it in the draw, BK? Uh, I would absolutely say not. It's not a put in the drawer. I think uh, Trevor's very enthusiastic and probably the best salesperson his company could um, could ask for. All right. Coming up, we're just moments away from revealing our final hot story of the week. Of course, it's hot. But first, what this video says about the current state of the stock market. Stick around. Fast Money 5 is back in two. Welcome back. We're counting down our top five stories of the week. We're just moments away from revealing our final story. But first, we got to take another fast break. We have quite the video for you. Check this out. Someone captured a seagull eating a whole rat. Yes, a whole entire rat. So that got us thinking, what is this a metaphor of in the markets? Got I'll tell you exactly what it's a metaphor. First of all, it's disgusting. And you know what else is disgusting? The, the, the goal is the Federal Reserve and the rat are corporate bonds. The Federal Reserve shouldn't be buying corporate bonds and seagulls shouldn't be eating rats. That rat seems to go down pretty easily, but it ain't going to come out as easily, I'm telling you. And that, my friends, is the metaphor for the market. So I think we borrowed that that clip from Rex Chapman, big fan of the show, big fan of Rex Chapman, by the way. Uh, And to me, there's a couple things going on. First of all, seagulls are effectively rats with wings. So you have a dynamic. This is kind of like Godzilla uh, versus Mothra. Um, Nobody wins in the end. It is uh, also at a time we've been in a major trade war and there's been a lot of war words. Um, I do believe it's the year of the rat in China. So I don't know if there's anything going on there, but that's a horrible horrible video and uh i don't want to see see any seagulls out there tonight bk well for me it's pretty easy that's davy day trader eating every hedge fund manager out there now whether or not that lasts forever davy day trader is on fire and who i'm referring to dave portnoy is out there and he's day trading he's leading a band of robin robin hood and e-trade traders um, you know, it's it's a metaphor for what's going on in the market. You've got a lot of smart hedge fund managers out there that have missed this rally up, and a lot of the retail traders have done it. Speaking of hashtag DDTG, the day trading bonanza is our final story of the week. As investors have leveraged technology to get a piece of the daily action, there has been an influx of young users on mobile trading platforms. Kate Rooney is with us to break down what these day traders were buying this week. Hi, Kate. Hi, Melissa. Day traders were pretty big on tech this week and one standout retail name. That was Gap. Shares soaring after the company announced a partnership with none other than Kanye West for that clothing line. It also became more popular on the trading app Robinhood. According to Robin Track, the amount of clients holding Gap jumped 283% this week. Take a look at some of the other big winners. Facebook saw some unusual options activity after a handful of companies pulled ads from the social network. Alphabet also seen a bump in retail trading activity this week. And finally, Plug Power, that stock among the most popular on Robinhood this week, It hit a six-year high after multiple Wall Street analysts boosted their price targets on the clean energy company. And I know you just talked to Nicholas Trevor Milton, but that stock losing its allure with some retail traders on Robinhood. It was among the most sold names on the trading app. Melissa. All right. Thank you, Kate. Let's let's trade some of these names. Um, BK, I don't know if you would dip your toe into a, a plug or any of the gap. 
probably probably not the gap, but you know, plug is kind of interesting. So it's plug power, and for the follically challenged out there, that's not the type of plugs that you put in your hair. What they do is actually they they have hydrogen fuel cell batteries. Now, guy missed periodic table. Hydrogen's one of those elements that you can get an awful lot of energy out. Uh, I used to trade this a while back, and again, back you know, probably 10, 15 years ago, it was a darling of the day traders. It's come back. Uh, I would just caution folks, this is going to be a momentum play. It looks like it wants to go back to its 2014 highs of 11 and a half, let's call it. Uh, but make sure you size it appropriately and make sure you take some profits in this plug power as it goes long. Well, you know, given the influx of uh, traders into the markets these days, day traders, trader newbies, we thought we'd field some questions from you out there. Mm. Um, so we actually have a question Ooh. from Adam in New York. Take a listen. This is Adam from Long Island, I'm 25, been watching this show and investing for about two years now. First, I want to say thank you guys for teaching me about investing and helping me make some money. Uh, today, I wanted to ask about shifting some of my long-term investment portfolio into emerging markets, specifically Taiwan Semi. I uh, would love to hear what you guys think. Thanks. Adam from Long Island uh, has a question for Tim. So, Tim, why don't you take it? Adam from Long Island, I happen to be in Long Island now, too, and thanks for the kind words. I, I think ultimately, if you think about Taiwan Semi, this is not just an emerging markets play. It's probably a developed market play, much in the same way I would argue that Samsung is. But it, it's weighting in the EM index is uh, around four and a half percent. But maybe most importantly, in terms of its role within the semiconductor community, it's it's one of the great white label provider for some of the biggest chip companies in the world. And it's arguably uh, the strongest of all the players because, in fact, it is the go to. Uh, um, so you should be following it in terms of uh, where demand and supply dynamics are, where they are in innovation, who their major buyers are, which are some of the biggest chip companies in the world. Uh, I am not long Taiwan Semi, uh, but I would be long their, their entire business model. And I do think in the range, it's near the top of a range. And I think it's an interesting time. All right. Next up, we have a question from Kit in Colorado. Hey, y'all. This is Kit coming to you from the Air Force Academy in beautiful Colorado Springs. My question today is on MGM. Even with entertainment closures and delayed reopenings, MGM fell this morning over 5.5%. It's trading at a 2.85 multiple. Is it time to get in? Thanks, Blue Skies. <laughs> Thanks, Kit, for your question. Guy, why don't you take this one? MGM, we talked about the Windicator earlier this week, but this is MGM. Windicator, spot on a kick. Listen, thank you. Thank all your mates. Thanks for your service. What you do, it's a great place to be. Well done. And you notice that kick had voice inflection as opposed to Adam. This is Adam from Long Island. Blah, blah. Adam, inflection. Come Let's on, work man. on that Get for the, the next that, show. That, With that don't side, go after my guy. No, it's true. Don't he, go Adam after my knows. Guy. Adam knows on, that I'm right. Man. Anyway, so real quick, MGM went from 6 to 24. It closed today at $15.60. Big move to the downside on big volume. I think the risk-reward, despite the fact I'm bearish, sets up really well. $15 is a 50% retracement. I think you can sort of trade the stock on the long side around 15 my man. And what, what's the Air Force Academy logo? Whatever it is, you're the man. Thank you. Good for him. Well, I'll tell you... I'll tell you what, I mean, MGM has been one that surprised me. The casinos in general have surprised me. Again, this goes back to the fact that people have been a lot more willing to go back into crowded spaces than BK is. BK, frankly, BK has been socially distant for long before COVID came along, so his life hasn't changed that much. MGM, I wouldn't touch. All right. Um, we've actually got some breaking news here. Coca-Cola 
pausing advertising on all social media. The company is saying there is no place for racism on social media. So Coca-Cola, just the uh, latest company, in addition to Hershey's, in addition to Unilever earlier today, announcing that they are going to halt advertising on social media. And of course, this is uh, a direct aim at Facebook, which has been under pressure because of this uh, flow of advertisers deciding to support this boycott. Tim? That is extraordinary. Wow. The follow through here. And again, uh, you know, give credit to the early stage advertisers. But when I hear this, I think I know it's very difficult time for ad dollars and every media company is assessing that and going through potentially a painful time. Although uh, if you listen to Facebook and their Q1 numbers, that was the extraordinary thing. Uh, you really hadn't seen an effect. But there are other options. There are other media companies that are hearing this news. Facebook's loss is their gain. And, and again, singling out social media as being a wild, maybe un, you know, untethered environment of uncertainty in terms of the messaging, um, advertisers want to control the messaging and the context in which their ads are placed. Uh, they may be able to do that in other places. Guy. I'm not well versed in the crisis management companies here in the ATOS Unis, but I would suggest that Facebook hire one this weekend. And, this, and that's not in a vacuum. We talked about this earlier in the week, and we said that, you know, those companies on Tuesday were the first, they won't be the last. Coca-Cola, that is a huge, huge deal. Uh, and the fact that you mentioned Procter & Gamble earlier, I mean, it's, it's no bueno, as they say. I mean, you got you to gotta think that there are Fortune 500 companies, S&P 500 companies this weekend that are going to be meeting and reevaluating their ad spend and totally. whether or not they're spending on social media. And on Monday, we started the show with when the levy breaks, BK. I don't know about what Monday brings. Oh, I think the water's over the levee at this point. It's broken. I mean, you, you know, companies like Coca-Cola and Hershey, uh, this is it. You, you as a corporate board member, as a CEO, cannot, uh, cannot continue on. You have to go along. It reminds me of when Apple closed their stores for COVID. Everybody followed behind. I think Monday morning you're going to see a lot more people pull out of this advertising on social media, Facebook in particular. All right. Well, that does it for us on this special hour of Fast Money 5. But stick around. A CNBC special report. Crisis in America starts right now. Have a great weekend. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.